the OTB Podcast Network. I believe that my life has been a journey of lessons, um, trials, and a lot of success, a lot of failure in equal measure. And that's why I'm here today. A refusal to give up, a refusal to quit. And I'm relishing this opportunity. So I get up to go to work every day and I'm absolutely buzzing. I'm enthusiastic and have a real zest uh, for life and for my career at the moment because um, I wait for so long to get a break. Finally, I, I have the break. Destiny awaits for me on the 14th of August. Yes, indeed, we are in the middle of a massive few weeks for Irish boxing. And this Friday at the Matchroom Fight Camp in Essex, we've got that man you just heard right there, Eric Donovan, fighting Zelfa Barrett. And I'm delighted to say that Donovan's coach and Olympic medalist Kenneth Egan is with us. Kenneth, how are you getting on? Very good. All good out this side. Um, can't complain. The organisation over here is second to none. Um, we're really, really looking forward to Friday night. Now, Eric has ticked all the boxes. And he just wants to go out there now and just show people how good he is. How does this week work? I presume it's one of the more unique circumstances you've ever faced in preparation for a fight. I've never seen that like before in my life, you know. And I think it's, I think it's a privilege to be part of this because it might never happen again. Please God. But the the organisation over here and, and 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 the strict rules, you know, it's really really good to see that people are really uh, honed in on 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 uh, restrictions over here. So we got here on the Sunday night. Stayed in a hotel to get in, in the room together. Once we come out on the, the Monday morning, we got tested. We had to get the separate rooms for the goods of 24 hours. Uh, you had room service, stuff like that. So you stayed in your room for the 24 hours. Once you got the, the green light, you're allowed to leave your room and come back into the world. Uh, you get a wristband, a black wristband. That allows you, that shows that you haven't got COVID <laughs> and you're allowed around <laughs> to walk around the, the, the area. So we haven't been down to the fight venue yet. Um, Everything in the hotel is here. So there's the media station, there's the gyms. There's two gyms here you have a choice from. One with a ring in it and then there's one with a uh, treadmill and stuff. So we were in the gym this morning. Done a light bit of pad work. Uh, you'll train again this evening then about half five. Just keep an eye on the way. Same again tomorrow. There's a press conference tomorrow. So every day has something different. And this, I, I was thinking the days were going to be very long, but they're not too bad at all. They're fairly moving fairly quick. So, But yeah, he's, he's in good shape now and he's really looking forward to it. How is the weight looking? Is it going to be a challenging conclusion to the week? No, we, everything is bang on. He's absolutely smashed it this time. Uh, the camp has been perfect. You know, he, he has everything in the diary. He's wrote everything down, every session, every weight check. It's just, it's perf absolutely perfect. You know, the check weight before he left, he had to be four pound over. Made that no problem. So now he's, he's just waiting now to weigh in on Thursday and, and that'll be it now. But, you know, he has been a real professional this time. Everything has just been bang on, um, the, the commitment and the sacrifice in this camp. And I think it's the only way to do it. Only, like, he's going to go out here on Friday. He is the underdog. This guy he's fighting, Zelda Barrett, is Eddie Hearn's new signing. He's his, his little golden goose. And he <laughs> wants him to win. Eddie wants him to win. Let's not, let's not bullshit this. So, But to, to everyone outside of that, it's a real 50-50 fight. But if Eric puts the, the, the plan into place... Um, and, you know, executes that game plan. There's no reason why you can't, you can't go out and beat this guy. When you talk about the sacrifice that's been made over the last few months, how arduous a campaign has this been? How arduous a, a training camp has this been? And how unique has it been as well? It's not just this week that's been different. The last five months, I'm sure, have been vastly different for a boxer getting ready. 
Eric was in a privileged position. He was already traded. He was doing his online sessions um, and he was tipping away and keeping fit until he got the news that he was fighting Zelta. So he wasn't starting from a, a one or a two out of ten. He was up at a five or a six, which was great. So when we got the, the, the green light to meet up and the boxing gyms were open again, um, he was in good shape. He was ready to go. So we just got plenty of sparring and he'd done over 100 rounds of sparring. We had so paused, we'd orthodox boxing, we'd all sorts there, bigger, heavier lads. And he walked right through every every session, um, pushed himself to the limit in, in almost every session. So that part is ticked, you know. He, he's not going to look back and go, did I train hard enough? You know, did I walk hard enough? Everything is done. He has no negativity in, in his body whatsoever um, and no doubts whatsoever. So it's been a grueling camp for him. He's pushed himself very, very hard. Um, but he knows himself that this is the opportunity that he can't, he, he can't let slip, you know. He's going to take with both hands, as he said. And go out there and fight. And I don't think there's any pressure on Eric. Eric's enjoying this. This is this is a privilege for Eric to go out here and fight and, you know, on, on a show like this. And when he gets out there and he relaxes and he, he gets the game plan right, we're going to frustrate. We're going to annoy this guy. We're going to make this guy doubt himself. We're going to make this guy lose his will, get frustrated and start making mistakes. Because Eric, they say Eric hasn't got that much experience in the pro ring. But the wealth of experience he has in the ring full stop is second to none. You know, you can't buy that stuff. He's travelled all over the world. He's been in the WSB. He's represented right across. So he knows how to handle himself in the ring. Um, this is going to be a 10-rounder. No problem to Eric's fitness and condition. We've done the rounds that inspire him. Um, but it's just a matter of who brings the better game plan, I think, on the night. And at, at the end of the day, it'll come down to who wants to win it the most. What are the general broad strokes on Eric Donovan's game plan, without giving too much away, obviously? We're just going to box clever. Eric is a very, very intelligent boxer. You know, he's a slick southpaw. We know this guy doesn't like southpaws. But look, that was the only loss on, on his record. Uh, we're not going to take, you know, that's just a, a blip on his record. We're not going to take too much heat on that. But Eric just needs to be clever. He needs to frustrate this guy. And we're going to stick to our plan. I can't say too much, Owen, as you understand, but we're very mm. confident in the plan we have. And by the way, if plan A doesn't be work, we have plan B to step in and plan C. So at the end of the day, it's hooker by crook. Eric wants and needs to win this fight. And at the end of the day, Owen, it is a fight. It doesn't have to look nice. It doesn't have to look pretty. Once Eric's hand is raised at the end of it. As a coach, Kenneth, what is the thing that you have to offer uh, most of all? Is it the, the technical side of things? Is it the mental side of things? Is it tactical? Uh, what, what do you bring to Eric Donovan? And what would you say is your biggest strength as his coach? Well, I'm only new to this game, okay? I've, I've been on the other side of the road for so many years, boxing and representing the country. But for me, I don't class myself as a, a an expert or, you know, a legend of a coach or a gustamado or anything like that. I'm new to this. I'm learning all the time. But we have a great relationship with Eric, you know, and he, he trusts me and I trust him. Both of us being southpaws, I see things that he probably needs to polish up on that I, I would suggest that he works on. Um, and, and and he listens, you know, small little, small little things. He's a very, very good southpaw as it is. But just adding those little bits and pieces to his arsenal and just being around them, you know, the two of us bounce off, off each other, we keep each other relaxed. Um, and I think with the same type of personality, which is a great thing, you know. So there's no real authority figure coming into the, into the gym I don't be screaming and shouting at him and that's the, the beauty of it is he's driven he's well driven himself he doesn't need it, the big stick on his back he gets out there and he pushes himself to the limit all the time um, I'm not just there to hold the spit bucket I have plenty of experience as a southpaw in the ring against orthodox boxers I know it works and what doesn't work um, and if I can give him some of my expertise and he adapts to that and brings that to the ring it can only help him this is quite a personal thing for you as well, Kenneth. This is not just a coaching gig. This is 
as you've mentioned there, the ability to see your friend do well, you're putting in the hours and hours to see one of your best mates actually succeed in the boxing ring. So that elevates us to a whole new level for you personally, I'd imagine. I think it's the force of its kind, if you like, you know, even talking to Matthew Macklin during the week there in the podcast and saying that he's never really seen that like this before. And look, it's great, you know, it's it's a great opportunity for me. I have no interest in coaching after I retired from boxing. And, you know, I was helping a few people out here and there. And Eric picked up the phone and he asked me, and I says, yeah, I'd, I'd love to give you a dig out. I'll help you any way I can. And and it just, a blossom from there, if you like, you know, traveling around the country, getting spars and working together and, and going abroad, going to England, going to Scotland, fighting. It's, and it's been a great journey he's on. And he really has resurrected himself, you know, Um from sitting in retirement, finishing with boxing, to come back and to, to be where he is today, you know, it's it's, you know, you can write a book of this stuff, and um, this is the opportunity now that he's he's looking forward to, and rightly so, he deserves this own. He's worked so hard for it, and when the opportunity presented itself, he took him with both hands. He says, "Yeah, I'm ready to fight Zelfa Barrett on Sky Sports," and it's it's the perfect it's the perfect opportunity for him to go out there, and I will be nervous, you know, that's that's I'm human at the end of the day, but I just want to see him boxing to his potential. Because I know he's, I've seen him day in, day out in the gym. I've seen him spar bigger, heavier lads. I know how good Eric is. And he knows how good he is. But he, he needs to partly brings that to the table on Friday to show the rest of the, the world how good he is. How has your friendship developed over the course of you becoming his coach? It's it's always been the same, you know. Like I said, like there's no real uh, discipline issues there around that I have to bestill on him around. Right. We still have to crack but. When it's serious mode, it's serious mode. I've known Eric since he was 16, 17 years of age when he came in onto the high performance floor, you know. We've been together all over the world. We know each other as very, very good friends. Um, but it's just me just distilling those little small things that I notice that can go against them and trying to remind them, you know, keep moving the head or keep moving the feet or small little things that he, needs, that he probably just forgets about. Um, and that's me just in the background, just like a little woodpecker in his, you know, on his head, just reminding him about these small things because they are important. Even though they're small, they're very, very important, especially in a fight like this. So uh, I'm just there just to torment them at times, just to remind them. You mentioned getting to know Eric from when he was 16 or 17, being on the high performance floor with him. Do you remember that moment when you met him and, and you first got to know each other? I remember his big smile walking in onto the high performance floor. And straight away, I knew he was a little devil. He was only <laughs> 17 or something, you know. And, and we got to travel around the world together then when he remained on the senior team. And I did also. So it was a great connection there. And, we were both mad, mad hours together as well, if you like. You know, we really, we hit the, the jar hard. And it's all, I suppose, all well documented. You know, the two of us went hand in hand. But this is this is different. This is the relationship we have now. We're very positive. We're very strong, strong-willed. Uh, our, our mindset has changed. You know, we, we're not into all that madness anymore, you know. They're going out and getting drunk and, and telling the war stories. That's all finished now. The two of us have switched on. He's getting married. I'm married now with kids. And this is just a different uh, perspective on, on life and, and a different perspective on the sport, you know. And something special can happen here this Friday night. And it's even to be part of it is is a real privilege for me. And, and I'm really looking forward to it because it's all in Eric's hands, you know. He just has to control what he can do. We go back to the talk we had many amounts ago in the high performance about how to perform at the highest level. This is Eric now. This is, this, this is his time. And it's great to be part of it. It's interesting that you mentioned that you both became more strong-willed throughout the years because my impression of a boxer would be strong-willed anyway. It doesn't matter what you're doing outside of the ring to actually get into the ring and put your body on the line against somebody. You've got to be made of pretty hard stuff. Did you feel that outside the ring that that wasn't the case, that, that perhaps 
the, the boxer that Kenneth Egan was, the boxer that Eric Donovan was, was the exact opposite of, of how they existed outside of the boxing ring. And, I and think, you mentioned, sorry. I, I think when you see a boxer and you, you hear of a guy that's a boxer, straight away you, you initially think, oh yeah, well he must be tough and he must be able to handle himself and he must be, you know. But when you step into a ring, there's that real personal thing that goes on between you and your opponent. And it's it's no like it's not like any other sport in the world where you're stepping into that ring, you're looking across the, the, to the corner and going, "Well, you must be off your head doing this," because you're going to punch someone in the face and he's trying to hit you. But all your years of training and, and you know repetition, repetition, you just go into autopilot and things just happen. And it's beautiful when you get a good rhythm going and you make your opponent miss and you're scoring and it all looks very very fancy. And that's why I box, you know, to do that to make people miss to enjoy that kind of fluidity in the ring. I, I, that was what, what I was all about. But outside the ring, as as Eric as well, you know, when we finished the boxing, so we were two headbangers, you know, we wanted a party, we were looking at the nearest pub in whatever country we were in to let the hair down and celebrate whether we won or we lost. It was it was downtime. And that was the problem, you see. And that, that lasted a long, long time for the two of us. But, uh, you know, that's... I suppose, when, you were, when you were in those moments, was there ever a time when you looked around and thought to yourself, this could actually end up in a bad place or because you were both quite successful at that time that cover over the cracks to a certain point I think when we started the high performance and the structure was put in place it allowed the senior champions if you like or the, 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 the top dogs continue to, to train at a ferocious pace that the rest of the country couldn't keep up with so when we went back into the national seniors every year we were winning the senior titles fairly easy because we were, we were ahead of the rest of the country if you like and and I don't know if that's fair now or if it's fair or if it's not fair, but that's just the way it was. So we were getting all the international experience and mixing with the best in the world and going back then and winning our, our national title. So, mm. you know, I didn't really worry about the seniors because I felt I was better than anyone in the country anyway. And there was no one going to lace my boots. I was just, I was too experienced. I was, I was too well educated in, in the sport. So I never really worried about the senior title at all in the early years. So I was winning them fairly easy. And I, I got so good because of the international scene I was on for so long, learning from all the different different uh, senior boxers in, in the world, you know, my boxing IQ was much, much higher than everyone else in the country. And then was there almost a situation when, because you felt you had that higher IQ, you felt that you were able to beat these people relatively easily, that you could do whatever you wanted outside of the ring? Is, is that perhaps some of the reason for that, that you thought, well, I can do whatever I want, I can go drinking as much as I want, as long as when I'm asked to train, I do train? And, you know, personally, like, that was my life right through. Like, I, I was so calculated in, in when I could drink and when I couldn't drink, how many weeks I needed off before I felt good again to get back into shape to perform. But the problem was, with my increased drinking, the, the time between drinking sessions and start of camp got shorter. And I had no problem winning the senior titles. Like, I, I'd have a drink at Christmas. I'd have a drink at New Year's Eve. And obviously, you probably know the seniors would start the end of January into February. So I'm drinking heavily in, around the Christmas time and the New Year's, knowing that I have four weeks or probably five weeks before I step into the ring. But that got shorter as the years went on and you know, up to the end of my career there, and even against Tommy McCarthy in the end of 2010s and stuff, Lions, it was getting to two weeks, two and a half weeks, you know, and I knew myself there was an issue, but I didn't want to address it at the time. And I was just putting on the long finger, winning the titles, thinking, well, I'm all right now for another year. I'm senior champion. But inside I was I was falling apart slowly but surely. How does that materialise the the internal falling apart? It's just you know that in our battle I had it myself and that denial that you know I need I, I need to get my head together here I need to stop drinking but how 
I did. I had no acceptance back then that I had a, a problem with drink because how could I? I was winning senior titles. I was Olympic silver medalist. But deep down in my gut, I knew there was something wrong, and, and it, that you know those benders were getting longer. The, the period of training was getting shorter, and it was catching up. I remember going to a, I think it was a, for a world championships. I lost out on two medals because of me drinking. But two world medals. We went to a training camp in um, somewhere before China. And I got beaten by a Swede, Babacar, who had beaten eight times before that. But it was drinking in a, in a massive bender. We went to a training camp in Germany before we went to China. And I still had the shakes getting off the plane going into the camp. You know, and I wasn't myself in the camp. Didn't really perform in the camp. And I was in a, a big ball of anxiety hiding in the camp. And that was just, and that's a camp before our World Championships. That's what I'm talking about, cutting, cutting the, 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 the fine lines shorter and shorter and shorter. And I missed out on the medal. I got to the quarterfinals, got beaten by a guy. I should have been French guy. And um, or no, I got beaten by Babacar then. And in the World Championships in Milan then in 2010, I got beaten by a French guy. Same kind of thing. Cutting it real tight before I went into the camp. And I, I knew myself I was losing the battle there. And, and that's when I, obviously in the August, I'm actually 10 years sober, two days time, which is a, is a, an amazing thing for me, you know, outside of boxing. Like 10 years without a drink is, is a massive achievement for me. Have those 10 years been the longest decade of your life, the, the shortest? How do you look back on this 10 years now? Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, it's, no, look, it's, it's, it's a special time for me because, yeah. you know, if I didn't stop 10 years ago, God knows where I'd be today, you know. Um, and I, I, I dread to think where I'd be if I didn't stop because there's nothing out there but just carnage and, and heartache from the way I was drinking, you know, and the, and the behavior of it. So uh, it's been a fantastic, it hasn't been all rosy, you know. We have good days, we have bad days. Um, but to be able to sit back and, and analyze what's going on and have the awareness to make the right choices with a clear head gives me a, a better chance at life on a daily basis. Whereas at the old Kenneth, I would have just reacted off the, off the cuff, you know, and made the wrong decisions and, and acted on a, on a whim. But now I'm, I'm really firm in the ground and I have a good base, I'm in a good place and, and I'm available then to help other people, which is a, a big part of my life now, like, you know, working in the therapy rooms and stuff. So being switched on and being uh, being being uh, honest and genuine and authentic is is a big part of my life today. Because there was a lot of legitimate warnings out there for the general public during the duration of lockdown that people were left to their own devices. Uh, addicts could have found those few months extremely tough, and I'm sure there have been some terrible stories that we don't know anything about during the few months of lockdown. You're into your nine and a half year going into lockdown and coming up to your 10th year at this point. At the same time, was there any difficult moments for you personally during lockdown when, when you are at home alone and there isn't exactly a whole pile of normal avenues for you? No, everyone's lockdown was different, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I obviously, I have a four-year-old daughter who couldn't go to school, couldn't go to creche, so I spent more time with her. And it was, it was now don't get me wrong, it's tough. But at the same time, I loved every minute of it. It was great crack getting to play her in the mornings, you know, um, because I was there alone with her in the morning because my wife was in work from half six. So we had the four or five hours together with her. We were doing their schooling as much as we could. But, you know, and then I'd get me a bit of exercise in, you know, with the restrictions, um, just short walks, getting the dog. We got a new dog as well. So all these different things helped me through the lockdown. But once the restrictions eased a little bit, allowed me out that little bit further then. And I was doing a lot of therapy on Skype as well, helping people, you know, online. So you have to adapt very, very fast when something like this happens. You can't just shut off from your clients and walk away. So we reached out for as many of them as possible. Now, a lot of them weren't too keen on going on the Skype. They didn't really trust the, the medium. So 
And that was okay. You have to respect that. But as soon as the, the restrictions eased, I was allowed back out, I was allowed to contact all these guys personally. Um, we got back into the swing of things. But it was very, very tough. And you notice, you hear the stats about the increase in, in house drinking uh, because the pubs were closed. You know, it's, it's, and that's the problem there. Like the house drinking is, is a problem before the lockdown, but to, to, to throw the COVID in on top of it, you have house drinking on a massive scale. Domestic violence kicks off. You have domestic abuse. You have all sorts of things going on in the family home that people aren't aware of. Um, and that's going to be the big struggle now going forward with the pubs remaining closed. Now, I'm not I'm not against alcohol. You know, I have my own issues with it. People can go out and have their few points, but I think they need to look at what's going on and weigh up the pros and the cons of opening up the pubs again getting people back out into their normal routines that they normally are involved in and because this house drinking and you know yourself there's no proper measures when you go to a house you know vodka and all the sort of stuff that's been thrown around to the, the house so it, people need to be aware of that you know that when it's in a pub it's more controlled when it's in a house it's a free-for-all mm. and anecdotally speaking have you noticed an uptick in the amount of cases of people really struggling over the last little while in your role as a counsellor well, alcohol is, is, is a big problem in this country and always has been. But, you know, there's, there's other things that are very, very, very problematic as well. Cocaine use is has gone through the roof in this country. Um, like, you know, the drug dealers can't keep up with the supply or the actual demand of it. You know, it's it's and it's scary and it's been sold on every street and every corner. Um, and that's another time bomb that has gone off already. It's not even waiting to go off. That's gone off. And that's going to cause massive heartache between addiction and debt collection and violence and all those things that go with that. But, you know, that's just another one that's part part of the, 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 the society in this country, you know, um, and it's it's scary. Just to go back to, to Eric then, is this something that you often chat about, like both of your experiences of helping other people through their struggles? Like you're a coach and it's a fighter and that should be the singular focus, I'm sure, over the last little while. Do you ever get a moment to, to chat about how far you've come as individuals outside of the ring? We always reminisce, Owen, and it's, right. and it's always great to look back at where you've come from because if you forget about that, that can lead you down the wrong road, you know? Mm. And I always have this analogy of you're sitting in, your, in a car, people, a person in recovery, or looking for recovery, you're sitting in your car and it's all about living in the here and the now. So you're not worrying about the, what's going to happen in the future and that just creates anxiety. So you're driving in your car, you're looking at your windscreen and you're enjoying the view of what's happening at that given moment. That's what I look at life now. Or just any given moment, you're just driving down the road, watch, observing what's happening there and then. But in your, and it's a big, huge windscreen you're looking through. But every now and again, you look at the rearview mirror, which is only small, that allows you to look at where you've come from. And you glance at that every now and again, just to reinforce where you've come from to where you are in this given moment. And if we say that to clients, and I try and break it down as simple as that, you know, that life is for living in the here and the now and enjoying what you have and be appreciate and be grateful for what you have and what, grateful for what, you, what you're looking for. But every now and again, you look into the past just to see where you've come from, to remind yourself that you need to be careful. You know, you, you, need, to be, you need to be vigilant and aware of what's going on on that day. And is it all sort of uh, looking back at warning signs when you're having those conversations with Eric, when you're looking into that little rear view mirror, is it always like, look at the past to remember how terrible it was? Or is there ever a moment where you're like, there were actual positives at times as well. Of course, of course. Right. And oh, and don't get me wrong, me and Eric have had the best crack ever abroad and at home. I'm not, I can sit here and just tell you about stories you've had out on the piss and you'd have your tears coming out of your eyes. 
we've had some great times together out, out on the lash and, and we laugh about it sometimes and it's good to laugh it's a very good to laugh it's a healthy thing but uh, you know back then at the time we, we didn't realise the effect it would have had on us but looking back at it we had some great times we're aware of that but that's put into a little like a little um, storage box now and put away now we still have a laugh now today mm. but there's no alcohol put in on top of that you know we're very comfortable in the people we are there's acceptance there around who we are and I have no problem accepting that I'm powerless over alcohol I'm fine with that um, it's just not for me I'm allergic to it when I drink it it's not for me I kind of go off go off the rails and I'm okay with that so I can let other people drink around me they can drink till the cows come home but I'm quite content with who I am now and the person I am today how much would it mean to you personally, Kenneth, to see Eric get the job done on Friday and to, to see this boxing career continue on to its next level of heights? Like, like we said, a couple of months ago, we were sitting together and Eric had just switched promoters and he was working with Mark and we were saying, right, what's, what's, what's next? He said, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next. So we'll wait and see. And it was like, it didn't look too good, down to be honest. We were just sitting there thinking, what's going to happen? And he's getting to that age now where he had to make a decision. Things were going well outside of boxing for him, you know, until the COVID kicked off. So we didn't know where we were going to go until this lifeline was thrown at us and uh, the opportunity presented itself. And Eric, like I said, was training, he was in shape, and off we went. So this is just the blessing in the sky is. And if he does go out and please God, he gets his plan right and he wins this fight, then we'll look at something else and look down the next chapter. But I'm not a, man of, a fan of jumping too far ahead, but it would be the icing on the cake for Eric's career if he goes out here and wins this fight Friday night. Um, and it'll be well deserved it's not as if he's cut corners and he's hoping for the best that's not the case here he's put the work in he's sacrificed an awful awful lot um, to be where he is today and if he gets his just rewards on Friday it'll be it'll be, it'll be be very very worth it Absolutely uh, we wanted to get your take quickly on Katie Taylor as well and Matchroom's Eddie Hearn was on this morning's OTBAN speaking to Shane and Jer uh, here he is talking about Katie taking this fight at relatively short notice you got to take your hat off to Katie Taylor. I mean, she, she'll fight anybody, but she was due to fight Amanda Serrano. Serrano didn't want the fight. And I just said to her, look, do you want me to try Delphine Bassoon? And, you know, when I go back to managers and advisors, everybody knows how rough that fight was at Madison Square Garden. I think even Brian Peters and the team were probably like, you know, Bassoon on seven weeks' notice. And Katie was just like, yes. The truth is, since that final bell rang, and she went back to the change rooms, and she even heard that there were people that thought Delphine Pursun won that fight. She wanted that rematch because she wanted to put it right. You know, in her head, she won the fight. But if there's any doubt, any questions, which there was, she wants to put that out of people's minds. And, and I think you, you, it's quite rare to see a fighter like that jump in at a rematch in such a close fight. You know, a lot of people would say, look, you've got the result there. Let's move on. Let's do Brackhouse. Let's do Serrano. But she says, no, I want to do Pursoon again. And uh, it's going to be a, a, an amazing event. Yeah, Eddie Hearn there on this morning's OTBAM with thanks to Gillette. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. You can get that full chat, by the way, back on the OTB podcast network right now. The best place, the best place to get that is on the OTB Sports app. Uh, Kenneth, just on, Katie, obviously it's uh, next weekend, not this weekend coming, where this fight is happening. It's a huge one. We'll have plenty of preview next week. But from what you've heard, is she well set? Has lockdown been a positive for her? And, and is she going to come back in the form that she showed pre-lockdown? Like, you know, you have to admire Katie, and I think Eddie's bang on. She didn't have to take this fight, you know? Mm. This was a hard, grueling fight first time around. 
Um, and she was fairly lucky in the last round that the bell rang when it did. So for her to step back into that danger zone, now, unless Katie knows something that we don't know, or maybe she wasn't feeling well the week before, or she wasn't 100% going into the fight, we don't know any of that. So maybe she knows something that we don't, that she's taking the fight, knowing that she's going to give a different performance and she's going to make a show of, uh, of, of, uh, of um, what's her name? Pursuing. A pursuing, yeah. So, you know, Katie knows something if she's feeling that way and wants to take that fight on straight off. But uh, it's going to be a hard fight either way. Um, but that's just Katie all over. She, she, you know, she, she, she relishes a hard challenge. This is going to be a tough one for her. But again, I'm sure she's been training hard over the lockdown. She knows how good she is. She knows how fit she is and strong she is. Um, but to get the right game plan in place, it could be an easy night for Katie Taylor because Persona's not technically uh, advanced. She's strong and she's big and she, she's rough. But if Katie Taylor, and I've said this right from the start, Katie Taylor, a fantastic boxer, but when you went into the pro game, she still throws too many punches. And there's no power in any of them. Whereas if she to set herself up and throw one or two feints and then a power shot, she'd have more effect on her opponent. But look, I'm not her coach. I'd just like to see her sitting down on her shots a bit more. Instead of throwing a thousand shots and and you know, there's no effect on, on, on the opponent, you know, throw a yeah. couple of hard shots and get respect from your opponent. Because in that fight you seen Delphine in the last round, round ten, coming at her like a like a a, a wild animal coming out of a cage. She had no respect for Katie. And you need to try and get respect early in a fight. That's interesting. So do you think she has that in her armory to be able to change her game a little bit more to, to go for more of a power again? Have you seen that? I hope so. Customer? I hope so because it's just it's going to be a long night again. Because right. it's going to be hard. It'll be a hard fight for Katie either way. But if she, if she boxes clever, sticks to her, her box and wins the rounds, uh, it should be a nice night for her because she's technically advanced and much, much superior than, than uh, you know, uh, what's her name, Delphine. But again, we know about Delphine. She went to the Olympic qualifiers that time. She got beat there. She said she, she wasn't well. She was sick previous to the, to the competition. So, uh, be interested to see what, what girl turns up on next Saturday night. It'll be an interesting fight though. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, listen, Kenneth, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks a million for being so generous with your time. Very best no of luck on Friday. Hear, and hopefully chat to you again soon. Cheers, lads. That was an OTB Podcast Network presentation. 